Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I've been policing for more than 30 years. I've devoted my life to this profession, and I'm grieved. Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm sickened by what I saw. I've seen the video, and as D.A. Morley stated, you will too. In a word, it's absolutely appalling. Uh, good morning, everyone. I am live in Memphis. You see, Caitlin is in D.C. We have it all covered for you. The questions are this morning, what happened? Here, what happened to Tyree Nichols? Why are we are hours away from finding out? Police body camera video set to be released tonight after 7 p.m. Eastern. Video that the family has seen. Video that has been described as appalling, horrific, inhumane. Video that has Memphis and the country really bracing for what could come next. Justice, Justice for Tyree. Justice for Tyree. It has been 20 days since a traffic stop led to an arrest so violent that Tyree Nichols ended up like this, hospitalized in critical condition. Three days later, he died. Five ex-police officers are now charged with murder. CNN This Morning is covering this from every angle with the people central to understanding what happened and how it happened. Over the next three hours, I'm going to be talking exclusively to the police chief, C.J. Davis. This incident was heinous, reckless, and inhumane. You're going to hear from Steve Mulroy, the district attorney whose office brought the murder charges against the officers. I think after everyone sees the video, I don't think there'll be any questions about those charges. I'm going to speak with Tyree's mother and stepfather, another exclusive interview. I want each and every one of you to protest in peace. I don't want us burning up our cities, tearing up the streets, because that's not what my son stood for. And you'll hear from an attorney for one of the accused officers. From the standpoint of uh, representing Mr. Mills, I don't want there to be any prejudice against him when it comes to a court of law. But beginning us off this morning is our very own Sarah Seidner, who has been covering this story. Sarah, good morning to you. By all accounts, this body camera video that is coming out later on today will be disturbing. It will be uh, from all accounts and from some of the descriptions we are starting to hear. But so far, this community has been prayerful. It has been peaceful and it has reacted just as the family, the mother of Tyree Nichols last night, asked people to do, to please, if they're going to protest, do it peacefully. There was a beautiful vigil last night in honor of Tyree Nichols, where? At the place where he felt most free, a skate park. 
In Memphis, candles burn for a life snuffed out. Tyree was just trying to go home. The life of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols being remembered where friends say he felt the most free. Yeah. A skate park. 12 years ago, Nichols seen here doing what he loved. 12 years later, he ended up dead. Officials say beaten by five men sworn to protect and serve. The grand jury returned indictments against all five with the same charges. The actions of all of them resulted in the death of Tyree Nichols, and they are all responsible. Justin Smith, Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Desmond Mills, and Emmett Martin III were all fired from the Memphis Police Department and now stand charged with seven crimes. Second-degree murder, two counts of aggravated assault, two counts of aggravated kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression. And there is police body cam and sky camera video showing it all, something police will soon release to the public. I'm grieved. Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm sickened by what I saw. What happened here does not at all reflect proper policing. This was wrong. This was criminal. Attorneys for two of the former officers responded to the TBI's damning statement. When you heard that, what did you think and have your clients heard all of the charges against them? I thought... I wish I'd seen that video so I could evaluate what he said. To say things like that when you have a tinderbox that we're all concerned about, uh, I have questions about whether those were the right words to use, whether this was the right timing, and whether uh, the government should be saying those things about people who are innocent until proven guilty when you know that's going to be broadcast to potential jurors. But Nichols' family wants people to know more about Tyree Nichols than how he died. Nobody's perfect, okay? Nobody. Mm -hmm. But he was damn near. My son was a beautiful soul, and he touched everyone. Nichols had his mama's name tattooed on his arm. He wasn't just her beautiful boy. He was also a father who loved having fun. His friend, who knew him in Sacramento, told a local newspaper, he had such a free spirit, and skating gave him his wings. He worked at FedEx, but had other dreams photography. In his own words, he posted, people have a story to tell. Why not capture it instead of doing the norm and writing it down and speaking it? It turns out what led to his death was captured on camera. And we now know um, that we will be seeing what led to his death, according to officials here. We also know that two of the five officers have bonded out. When, we, when I talked to the two defense attorneys of, of two of the officers, um, they said that they expect their clients to plead not guilty in this case. And there's a difference in bond for those officers, and we'll get to all of that throughout the coming hours here on CNN. Sure. Sarah Seidner, thank you very sure. much. Um, Caitlin, there's... The, we're going to continue on, Caitlin, here. President Biden joining other leaders who are calling for protests to stay peaceful. As he says, the family of Tyree Nichols deserves a full, swift, and transparent investigation into his death. We're going to get to the White House now. MJ Lee joins us this morning. MJ, good morning to you. The president also renewing calls for police reform. What have you learned? 
Yeah, good morning, John. Uh, the White House has, of course, been watching Memphis very closely, and we know that the president is being briefed on these developments. And last night, the president put out a statement offering his condolences to the Nichols family and said that the family deserves a full investigation uh, by the Justice Department and state authorities. And he also said this. He said, I joined Tyree's family in calling for peaceful protests. Outrage is understandable, but violence is never acceptable. Violence is destructive and against the law. It has no place in peaceful protests seeking justice. So you can really hear from that statement that there is a real concern at the White House that the outrage, the emotions, the pain uh, prompted by this incident could lead to protests that could potentially turn uh, violent. So the president trying to get ahead of that and trying to urge everyone to stay peaceful. And Don, as you know very well, this wouldn't be the first time that this president has confronted a country uh, grappling with this kind of trauma. You'll remember, for example, that he spoke to the nation when the verdict for Derek Chauvin came down. Uh, he also then, of course, subsequently met with George Floyd's family as well. Uh, what about, though, MJ, any plans for the president to come here to Memphis at all? Yeah, no word right now on any kinds of plans for the president to travel uh, down there himself. Uh, just keep in mind, though, Don, that this White House, too, like most everybody else across the country, they are bracing for the release of this video, too, that is expected to be so traumatic and cause so much outrage. So I do suspect that we will continue hearing from the White House and the president directly as we continue learning more in the next 24 to 72 hours. And we'll be checking back with MJ Lee at the White House. MJ, thank you very much. And straight ahead, we're going to speak with Tyree Nichols' mother and his stepfather and the Memphis chief of police. So make sure you stay with us. Our special coverage in Memphis continues. A lot to get to throughout the day here, Caitlin. Yeah, certainly something that everyone here in Washington is watching what you're doing there in Memphis just as well, Don. Um, also here, we are learning brand new reporting this morning on an investigation into those hush money payments to the former actress, the adult actress, Stormy Daniels, and then former President Trump's alleged involvement in those payments. This morning, new details show just how involved investigators believed that the former president was. These are revelations that are coming from the new book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It, which looks at how Trump and other powerful people have managed to evade the legal consequences for their actions. This book is authored by CNN's senior legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Ellie Honig. Ellie, this reporting in here that you have is fascinating because it, it's essentially saying that days before Trump was leaving office, these prosecutors in New York were looking at whether or not to charge him with campaign finance violations once he was out of office. What else did you learn? Yeah, Caitlin. So there were some very high stakes meetings within the Southern District of New York during that key period in January 2021 when Donald Trump was getting ready to, to leave office. We know that the Southern District could not indict Donald Trump before that because he was the sitting president, but he was a focus of their investigation on this campaign finance case. And when it came time for Donald Trump to leave office, there were meetings inside the SDNY when they had to grapple with the very difficult question, do we charge him now? Of course we know the answer is no. I got inside those deliberations and why they decided not to. What was really interesting to me, though, was the consensus on the team at the Southern District of New York, where I used to work, was that they did have sufficient evidence to indict Donald Trump. Some thought it was just barely enough. Others thought it was more than enough. But they still decided not to 
First of all, because the Southern District believed that there were prudential concerns, as it was put to me, with charging a former president. They were cautious about the potential political fallout of it. And also, sort of perversely, the fact that Trump had been involved in so many other controversies between those two time periods really sort of weighed in his favor because he had had the Mueller investigation, he had had the Ukraine impeachment, he had had January 6th. And so by 2021, these hush money payments almost felt to the prosecutors like they were ancient history and like they were fairly low on the list of his offenses. Yeah, but this draft indictment that, that you got a hold of is fascinating because, of course, we know in the end of the court filing, Trump was referenced as individual one. That was something we talked about at the time. But the draft indictment really didn't leave any doubt about his involvement, saying, you know, he just it wasn't just a bystander or some unwitting force here. He was the driving force behind this, they believed, according to this draft indictment. Yeah, so there was a draft indictment of Michael Cohen that the Southern District was working on in 2018 that would have been enormously explosive, but it never saw the light of day and never made it out the door because the bosses at Maine Justice in D.C., frankly, stepped on it. So the Southern District, when they were writing the draft indictment of Michael Cohen, laid out all the facts they had as to Donald Trump, that he was centrally involved, that he was the key player in this hush money scheme. But when the bosses at DOJ got wind of it, they said, absolutely not. We're not putting that in there. And as a result... There was a heated back and forth between the Southern District of New York and the bosses at DOJ. Ultimately, as independent as the SDNY is, they are part of DOJ, and DOJ prevailed. And as a result, what we saw in the final charging document against Michael Cohen was something that barely mentioned Donald Trump and only ever called him the infamous name individual one. So we got really a sanitized version of what the SDNY wanted to put out in the public. Yeah, this is fascinating reporting, all in your new book, Untouchable how powerful people get away with it. It's out January 31st. Ellie, I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that is fascinating. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Caitlin. Meantime, here in Memphis, Memphis is on heightened alert, awaiting tonight's release of the body cam video showing the police beating of Tyree Nichols. We're going to speak with the president of the Memphis NAACP, who was with the family just yesterday, plus this. I think he's just out of his mind, and one lie led to uh, to the other. His uh, ego is too uh, is too big, is too high. He's not going to resign. That's a prediction you're hearing from someone who knows George Santos very well. The embattled Republican congressman's ex-boyfriend is now speaking out about his own suspicions he had about the freshman Republican. Hello, everyone. We're back now live in Memphis, Tennessee, as a nation braces for the release of the police video. Tyree Nichols' mother pleads for peace at a candlelight vigil for her son last night. Nichols' death led to five police officers being charged with second-degree murder on Thursday. So joining us now to discuss what's going on here is the president of the Memphis NAACP, Van Turner, and retired bishop of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, Henry Williamson Sr. And we're so glad to have both of you gentlemen here. It's very important. This affects the family, obviously, but the entire community. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. I, I'm going to start with you because you have been with the family recently, right? Yes. What are they saying, Van? How are they doing? I'm going to speak with them a little bit later on in the hour. Well, at the vigil last night, they were appreciative of the outpouring of love. Uh, skateboarders came. Uh, folks from all walks of life all throughout the city came to support uh, this family, and they were so appreciative. And so. They are, uh, um, are uplifted by what they saw last night. They are ready for the city to see 
uh, this video and they're asking for uh, peaceful protest, but they still are saying justice for Tyree. And so that's what we're seeking. Bishop, I want to bring you in and, and to talk about the healing that needs to be done with this community. And look, this is open wounds and probably they're going to become more open as this video is released later on tonight. What is your message here? Let's turn tragedy into trial. Compassion for this family and justice. And then eventually police reform is needed. We've come a long way. We have a fine uh, police chief. She's done a great job, swift justice. They have been uh, fired and now charges have been given. We're grateful for the progress, but we still need to follow through on the justice process and call on the mayor and the governor for police reform in our city and then across the nation. And of course, we need the George Floyd bill passed that President Biden has called for in light of this tragedy. You have been, you're speaking to a whole world of issues, right? A whole country of issues, let's put it that way. Uh, but a, a lot of it has been, ha happened here in Memphis, Tennessee. There have been issues with the police department. You have been in the community. You have been trying to get those issues fixed and changed. How do we do that? You said the George Floyd Policing Act, but Memphis has a, a history of, quite frankly, bad policing. Well, Dr. King gave his last breath here. Let's turn this into peaceful protest, justice, and positive change. So we must communicate. Let's build bridges rather than walls to all of the community involved. Let's call all faith leaders, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and others, and community activists together. That's why we are proud of the work of the NAACP. Our church doors are, have been open, and with this family, first of all, compassion, counseling, and then, of course, with the, the, the nation, let's call for peaceful protest and positive change. Homeless children need to be educated. Let's have the Tyree Nichols Scholarship Fund. Let's make sure HBCUs are funded. Turn tragedy into triumph. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Dr. King um, and look, was a pastor. Uh, you're obviously a pastor, a bishop. Um, in, in dealing with these issues, as you are out in the community and the community comes to you to worship, to mourn, to praise, what are they saying to you, and in particular about the issue here as far as Tyree Nichols and, and with policing uh, in Memphis? Well, righteous indignation and anger, of course. So we must deliver justice to them uh, allow for them to be heard so that they know that positive progress can be made. We're asking our churches to uh, partner with schools to make sure that they value life and value learning. So we have to communicate that. We have to compassionately do that. Jesus, of course, from the cross said, look at my mother, Mary. So this mother and this father need our concern and hope. And if we bring justice and peace to them, then we will move forward in progress. That's what's needed at this time. In moments, in just moments, Van, I'm gonna uh, speak to the police chief, the first interview that she has given um, as it concerns this. What do you want to know or hear from the police chief? She has been ahead of this right. um, with trying to get people acclimated to what they're going to see uh, in this video. So I'm going to speak with her in moments. What would you like to know from the police chief? Well, I would like to uh, have her explain that uh, there is training to take place 
but we need to see that training implemented uh, throughout the entire force. This squad was created to combat the crime in the community, yet these officers uh, went overboard and they acted excessively when it came to the arrest of Tyree Nichols. So what we want to hear from Chief Davis is uh, what can be done going forward to prevent something like this from ever happening again. And I think that's uh, what she will hopefully speak to. That's what the community wants to hear. Uh, this is not a condemnation of the entire force, but this is an inquiry as to what happened, what went wrong, uh, what can we do to better implement policies, and how can we prevent this in the future? Uh, just real quickly, we had the, the police officers who were fired and charged up on, on the screen there, all black police officers. Right. What is your message? What do you say to them? You know, it doesn't matter who's behind the badge. You have authority and you have uh, the ability to arrest and you are to serve and protect. Uh, and so we want to uh, hear the message loud and clear that if you are wearing that badge, whether you are African-American or you're not black, uh, we want you to do what you were trained to do and we want you to do it with fidelity and we want you to do it uh, no matter who you are arresting, who you are uh, taken in, you should treat them like a citizen, you should treat them um, with respect, and you should not beat and kill that individual uh, because that was not your training. So the color of the police officers is not important. The fact that uh, what they did was criminal, uh, that's important, and they should be, uh, you know... Uh, accountable. They should be held accountable. Yeah. Responsibility and accountability in this case. Thank you. For all of our police officers. I'm glad you listened. It's very important because you mentioned the George Floyd Policing Act. You mentioned the president because this is this is a countrywide effort that it's going to take Democrats, Republicans, white, black, right. every single ethnicity in this country to help fix these problems. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And thank you, media, for exposing it thank and you. teaching us and learning how to turn tragedy into triumph in police reform. We and for men and women. We appreciate your candor. We appreciate you speaking for the community and helping to heal this community and tamp down uh, whatever issues that we may have when we, that video is released uh, later on tonight. We will be leaning on you guys to guide us through this because we're outsiders, so to speak, but we're here to help. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Right. I appreciate it. So I'm going to be um, heading to talk to the police chief in just a moment. So you may not see me here for a bit, but the next time you will see me, I'll have the police chief here in Memphis for an exclusive look, a closer look at Chief Davis and her career and how she is handling one of her really biggest moments here, her biggest challenges yet. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. We're live in Memphis and here in Washington this morning, where cities like D.C. are taking extra security precautions ahead of tonight's release of the video showing the police beating of Tyree Nichols. The Memphis police chief, C.J. Davis, is facing the outrage of a community devastated by the actions of those officers. Davis is the first black woman to serve in that role. She has condemned their fatal beating of Tyree Nichols as a, quote, failing of basic humanity. CNN's Ryan Young is live in Atlanta. You know, Ryan, obviously she is one of these officials who is going to be dealing with the potential fallout from the release of this video. What do we know about her, about Chief Davis specifically? 
Well, actually, I'm in Atlanta right now, Caitlin, and this is where she worked for some over 20 years. I can tell you by talking to two former chiefs of the Atlanta Police Department, they call her an exemplary officer, someone who always was out in the community forging connections between the community and the police department. Look, you were talking to pastors just in the last few minutes on this show, and we know that it's that community forging that has to take uh, place to make this thing move forward in terms of making sure that people stay peaceful in the streets. This was wrong. This was criminal. As Memphis and the nation brace for the release of what is expected to be disturbing video of Tyree Nicholas being beaten by five now former Memphis police officers. He was a human pinata for those police officers. The spotlight is once again on policing tactics in black and brown communities. The top cop in Memphis, a city that is nearly 65% African-American, is Sarahlyn J. Davis, a role she's held since 2021 when she made history by becoming that city's first female police chief. She's the right person to lead this department here in Memphis. But over the last two weeks, the actions of five of her police officers has brought unwanted attention to her department. This incident was heinous, reckless, and inhumane. And in the vein of transparency, when the video is released in the coming days, you will see this for yourselves. Davis started her career in Atlanta, where for more than 25 years, she moved up the ranks as a police officer, leading several high-profile units, becoming the police chief in Durham, North Carolina. Former Atlanta police chief Erica Shields, who was at the helm during the protest of 2020, says Davis is a top-notch cop. You had a chance to work with uh, Chief Davis. We came up through the Atlanta Police Department. I probably worked with her about 20 years. CJ embodies class, grace, and she is a strong, intelligent person who does the right thing every time. Shields believes transparency is a police department's best tool to speak directly with the public. Justice must be transparent and justice must be equal. Following the murder of George Floyd at the hands of police in 2020, Davis, then the head of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, testified on Capitol Hill about the need for police reform. We are also alarmed and mourn the horrific killings of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and now Rashad Brooks. These names represent just a few in a much longer list of tragedies impacting communities of color. Now, years later, the chief's experience and management will be counted on as she faces one of the biggest challenges of her career. Finding truth in this tragic loss, ensuring we communicate with honesty and transparency, and that there is absolute accountability for those responsible for Tyree's death. As bad as I'm afraid that this video may be, if I had to pick someone to be at the helm of navigating through it, it would be her. She is, she is that solid. Caitlin, you can see one of the barricades that has been put up here in the city of Atlanta. Uh, a lot of police departments throughout the southeast are having plans just in case protests get out of hand. But one of the things everyone's been talking about is the fact that police departments have been working all around the clock to talk to their partners in the community to make sure that doesn't get out of hand. And that's the same thing that C.J. Davis has been doing in Memphis. Caitlin? Yeah, and we heard it from his family as well. Ryan Young, that was a really good look at her. Thank you so much for that. Ahead, that police chief that Ryan profiled there, C.J. Davis, is going to join Don for her first interview since the beating occurred. That's coming up. Also up next on the political front, a bold prediction about George Santos's future here in Washington. 
from a former member of his inner circle. The embattled Republican congressman's ex-boyfriend is weighing in. Also this. Did uh, you ever see any tears in your interactions with Mr. Murdoch? He did not appear to be crying. He was upset, but I did not see any visible tears. Prosecutors in South Carolina are drawing attention to Alex Murdoch's emotions at the scene of the crime. We have a live report from South Carolina as testimony is beginning in the trial of the century. Well, let's talk about people who don't care about public policy. George Santos is... The last couple of years have taught everyone, write it out. Just like tweet through it. Just keep saying, like, calling the media liars, saying it's about your enemies. There is a playbook for this that has been fairly successful, and now you're seeing it, like, in this moment. You know what I mean? Where someone, no matter what lie they're caught in, they know that maybe you just don't have to do anything at all. And I think that's something that we really have to wrestle with going forward in the media. It's fun to make jokes about this person. It is. It is. It's... <laughs> I, I totally get it. Yeah, I fact check um, that. But, you know, where, where did their money come from? Yeah. You know, uh, what loans do they owe? Who's going to want influence with them? And will what, they have access to classified material? Will they have material? access to classified material? Will they take it home and store it in their garage? <laughs> I mean, who among us has not, at this point, had... You should check your garage, Audie Corner. <laughs> I, I I have a feeling Audie's garage is safe and sound. That was CNN's Audie Cornish speaking with Stephen Colbert, asking good questions, talking about embattled New York Congressman George Santos, obviously getting a lot of attention here on Capitol Hill. Also, last night, the former boyfriend of George Santos is speaking out, saying that he doesn't think the freshman lawmaker will ever resign from the House because, quote, his ego is too big. Here's his exclusive interview with Aaron Burnett. I mean, do you think that he'll ever resign? I don't think so. His uh, ego is too uh, is too big, is too high. He's not going to resign. Uh, if they don't find out something to get him off, he's not going to do it. Pedro, you were 18 and Santos was 26 when you met him. When did you know that you couldn't trust him? Towards the end of the relationship, it was more. I started like I started finding out about the lies in December. And then it went on until February. And then uh, that's when I broke up with them. I want to play George Santos, what we've all now heard, Pedro, explaining who he is in his own words over the years. My grandparents survived the Holocaust. I'm a Latino Jew. My mom was a 9-11 survivor. They sent me to a good prep school, so, and, which was Horseman uh, Prep in the Bronx. I actually went to school on a, on a volleyball scholarship. When I was in Baruch, we were the number one volleyball Did you graduate? Team. But I put myself through college and got an MBA from NYU. I also founded my own nonprofit organization. Prior to, to running, I decided to close it. It was an animal rescue. We, we had a great organization. We were able to save animals, dogs, cats, horses. I've lived an honest life. I've never been uh, accused, sued of, of any bad doing. Why does he do this? I don't know. I think he's just out of his mind. And one lie led to, uh, to the other. And now that everybody found out, like, they're finding out, like, uh, the little stuff as well. 
I just think that he should not be in Congress. <laughs> what he always uh, looked for was fame and power. That's all the all he cared about. And he got it. He got the fame of the lies and he got the power that he's in Congress now. We should note, Pedro also told Aaron Burnett that George Santos never mentioned 9-11 and his mother when they were dating. Also this morning in South Carolina, the first witnesses are taking the stand as Alec Murdoch's double murder trial gets underway. Prosecutors are trying to draw a contrast between the once prominent attorney's emotional state in the courtroom to the emotions he had upon seeing his wife and son dead. CNN's Randy Cave is live in Walterboro, South Carolina for CNN this morning. Randy, you know, this is a trial that has captured the attention, certainly of South Carolina, but also uh, of the nation. What are we hearing from these first witnesses who are taking the stand? Caitlin, it was so interesting. Uh, good morning to you. For the first time, we saw uh, Alec Murdoch interacting with investigators at the crime scene the night of the murders. This was the first time we've seen this. This was the, the first investigators who were on the scene testified. Their body cam uh, video was shared. Now, it was so disturbing that they shielded it uh, mostly from our view, which is why we're not showing it to you this morning. Uh, but the jury was able to see it, and they were fully engaged. Some of them were closing their mouths, uh, holding their hand over their mouths because it was so horrible. Uh, to see it was it was the bodies and uh, of, of his wife and son and a lot of blood, um, but it was it was so disturbing. Uh, and this is just a clip of what we were able to see in court. When was the last time you were here with them, or talked to them, or anything like that? Um, It was earlier tonight. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the exact time, but okay. I left. I was probably gone an hour and a half from my mom's, and I saw them about 45 minutes before that. Somebody going to check them? Yes, sir. They, they've already checked them. <laughs> they did check them? Yes, sir. It's official that they're dead? Yes, sir. That's what it looks like. And Caitlin, for the first time, we had new information in court about Paul Murdoch's truck. It wasn't at the scene the night of the murders. It turns out uh, they said in court that they had put out a, a bolo, a be on the lookout for it, and it was found uh, quite a ways away in Hampton County on the side of the road. No explanation as to why. And also, there's one point on the body cam video where in the middle of this horrific scene where the bodies of his wife and son are laying there, an investigator shows up, and Alec Murdoch very calmly turns to him and says, hey, what's up? Uh, which was very bizarre, but they did explain that most of the time, most of the night, uh, he was quite distraught in, in at the scene. Caitlin, back to you. Yeah, absolutely fascinating trial. Randy Kay, we will stay with you for the updates. We know they'll be back in the courtroom today, so thank you. Also this morning, the NFL is now in the Final Four. Harry Anton is going to break down who is making it, who or who may make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see Harry next. It is NFL Conference Championship Weekend. The two playoff games are happening on Sunday. They will decide who will play in the 2023 Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to face the San Francisco 49ers for the NFC title. And the Cincinnati Bengals will play the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC Championship. Our CNN senior data reporter, Harry Enton, is in New York. Harry, it's amazing to me how evenly matched these two teams are. How are how are things looking ahead of the weekend? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm expecting some 
awesome football game. So let's take a look at the favorites right now. We'll start in the AFC, right? Remember, the winner advances to the Super Bowl. Right now, the oddsmakers have Kansas City to beat Cincinnati, but just by a point. Look in the NFC. That one, also a tight matchup expected. The Philadelphia Eagles to beat the San Francisco 49ers by just 2.5 points. And if you look historically, look, the average of the 2023 favorites margin, 1.8 points. If you look back over 50 years of history, right, the smallest average favorite margin was two points. So the games this weekend are expected to be tighter than any weekend slate of AFC-NFC championship games ever, dating back more than 50 years. But there's another reason why I'm interested in these weekend's games, and that is because the AFC championship is a repeat of last year's between the Bengals and the Chiefs. And if you look, that has happened very few times in our history. One other thing I'm going to point out here is my Buffalo Bills. Last weekend, they went adios, amigos. They haven't made a Super Bowl appearance since 1994. The last Super Bowl win, never for them. But remember, though, when it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Caitlin. (laughs) All right, Harry, going to be some close games this weekend. We'll be watching. We'll check back in with you. Thank you. Thank you. Also today, there's going to be a contentious battle over the future of the GOP. The RNC, the Republican National Committee, is set to vote on whether to keep Ronna McDaniel or oust her after the party's string of election failures in the 2022 midterms. We are live here on Capitol Hill with more on that. Also in Memphis, we're live there on the ground. Don is going to speak in just moments with the Memphis police chief. It is her first interview since the death of Tyree Nichols. That's going to be ahead of tonight's expected release of that video. He'll have a lot of questions for her. Stay with us for both those important moments. We've had three substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. And I would say of all three of those, 22 was probably the worst. I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. That is Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis calling for change at the Republican National Committee. The GOP is gearing up to vote on whether or not to reelect or replace Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel after disappointing midterm elections for Republicans. McDaniel is running for a fourth, fourth term. She is a favorite in the race, we should note. But that fight within the Republican National Committee is mirrored by a fight here on Capitol Hill to keep House Republicans together when it comes to their agenda. CNN's Lauren Fox is live here with more. Lauren, you've been doing some reporting, I know, on the behind the scenes, these efforts that, you know, everyone can see the divisions. We all saw it play out with the, the fight over Kevin McCarthy. What are they trying to do to try to keep their, their conference together? Well, there's one man really in the middle, Caitlin, and that is Tom Emmer. He is the Republican whip, and he He is going to have the tough job of keeping the Republican conference in line. I talked to him this week about what his message, what his style is going to be to make sure that this narrow majority doesn't go off the rails, that they can actually accomplish legislation. He said he has a lot of experience, both in the state house and actually as a youth hockey coach back in Minnesota. And he said one of his styles is to be direct, to tell people what he knows and what he doesn't. He also said his message to conference this week was simple. I need to know your personal business. 
He said, quote, we are not in the business of discussing your business, but you've got to view us as a small town law office. Information comes in, but it doesn't go out. And the reason he said that it's so important, he knows if people are have children who are getting married, if they have illnesses, is the fact that absences really matter when you have a tight majority. You also can't have any last minute concerns about legislation. He says they need to come to him early and often when it comes to bills. And Caitlin, this is just going to be such a challenge for Tom Emmer to keep Republicans in line. Yeah, on major issues, including the debt ceiling, is going to be one of the biggest fights I think that we see play out. Among others, Lauren Fox, great reporting, though. I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot of this in the future, so thank you. Thank you. All right, and also CNN is going to continue this morning live here in Washington and also in Memphis. More CNN this morning to come after the break. If you guys are here for me and Tyree, then you will protest peacefully. You can get your point across, but we don't need to tear up our cities, people, because we do have to live in them. And that was Tyree Nichols' mother speaking last night at a visual. visual. Hello, everyone. I'm Don Lemon. I'm live in Memphis. Caitlin is in Washington, D.C. Poppy is off. We're going to take you through what is going to happen here in Memphis today. I'm live right now at the police department. I'll tell you why in just moments. But you saw what happened last night, that vigil, the family pleading for everyone to be calm if they're going to protest. Those five officers have now been charged. They were arrested. Some of them have been released. We're going to go through it. The family attorney, the family's attorney, Ben Crump, describing what happened in this tape that's going to be released after 7 p.m. Eastern time today, comparing it to what happened with Rodney King. We'll talk about that, but listen to what he said. I'm going to remind you of Rodney King in many regards. Assaulted, battered, punched, kicked, uh, tased, pepper sprayed. It, it is very troubling when you think about Tyree only weighs, as his uh, family say, at most 150 pounds. He's calling for his mother. He yells out to her three times. And then you never hear Tyree Nichols say another word anymore on that video. You see him up against the car, uh, sitting down in handcuffs, and you see his body fall to the right. And you can see now I'm joined live now by the Memphis Police Chief, C.J. Davis. Thank you, Chief, for joining us. I Thank really you. appreciate it. I'm going to wear my glasses so that because I have very specific things I want to ask you about the charges. These five officers have now been charged with second degree murder and the death of Tyree Nichols. What's your reaction to these very serious charges? Well, I expected serious charges. I really did. Actually, the charges that were placed or at least the administrative charges were probably the most severe that I've seen in my career, but they were absolutely appropriate. And I knew that the next step would be in the hands of the DA's office, so I, I'm not surprised. These were pretty um, extraordinary measures, I must say, in all the times that I've been covering these types of incidents, to fire the officers and to charge them so strictly. Does that speak to what we're going to see on that videotape when it is released after 7 p.m. Eastern? Uh, absolutely. I think that, you know, it also speaks to the fact that, you know, over the last several years, we have all talked about police legitimacy, you know, and police reform. 
And I think it's really important that in instances like this, when they are serious, when they are, when they are, that they do rise to that level where a person's constitutional rights have been violated, their civil rights have been violated, that we act and we act swiftly. Mm -hmm. When did you first learn about this incident, Chief? Um, it was probably about four o'clock in the morning. That previous, the, the, the previous day, eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock, this incident occurred. About four o'clock in the morning, I learned of the incident, and uh, it was just a strange uh, summary of what occurred on a traffic stop. And uh, I decided to go in the office and meet with the individuals that had information that I could take a look at it, even though at that time uh, Tyree was in the hospital. Uh, but still, because he had injuries that that just I just didn't understand. It was incomprehensible to me. Um, we came in the office and uh, decided to take a look that Sunday morning, and it was alarming. That's when you Sunday morning is when you first saw the video. That's absolutely right. And then when you saw it, what was your reaction? Um, I was I was outraged. I was um, it was incomprehensible to me. It was unconscionable. And um, I, I felt that I needed to do something and do something quickly. Uh, I don't think I've witnessed anything of that nature in my entire career. Really? Really. That bad? It was that bad. What are we going to see then? Um, you, you're going to see acts that defy humanity. You're going to see um, a disregard for life, um, duty of care um, that we're all sworn to, and um, a level of physical uh, interaction that is above and beyond what is required in law enforcement. And, um, and I'm sure that, you know, as I said before, that individuals watching will feel what the family felt. And if you don't, then you're not a human being. And we all are human beings. And um, I think there will be a measure of sadness as well. How long do these incidents go on? We heard from the district attorney yesterday and from the head of the TBI that there were two separate incidents, right? Yes. How long do they go on? And when, when what was the worst part of it, because it, it has been said that the officers became charged yes. during the second incident, that they got more riled up. Well, from the very beginning, to me, they were riled up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I don't think they were as amped up as they were on the second, uh, at the second um, scene, but just the stop, the nature of the stop, um, very aggressive, loud, you know, um, communication, and it was, it just rose from there. It escalated from there. Um, Mr. Nichols was able to uh, get away from these officers and um, they found him again uh, at another location. And at that point, uh, there was, an, there was an, an amount of aggression that uh, is unexplainable. Mm -hmm. You know, in any instance uh, where, where you're apprehending someone, even in the worst situations when there is resistance, officers still have the responsibility to exercise care and regard for any individual that's in custody or they're attempting to apprehend. Mm -hmm. And they're trained to do that. 
And to de-escalate. And to de-escalate. And that's a piece I think that is in question, but I think the escalation was there from the officers before training even needed to come in as it relates to de-escalate. The escalation was already at a high level. So you're saying they did everything wrong? Nothing that... You, you think this was outside of their training, everything? Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. you mentioned, you said the nature of the stop. Yes. Can we talk about the nature of the stop? Yes. Why, why, what was the nature? Why was he stopped? Well, um, I'm going to be honest with you about the stop itself. Uh, what, is, what was said was that there was um, a witnessing of what was considered reckless driving. Mm-hmm. Um, we've looked at cameras, we've looked at body-worn cameras, and even if something occurred prior to this stop, we've been unable to substantiate that at this time. Um, not so you, you haven't been able to, to substantiate a reckless, the reckless, the driving. reckless driving at not, all? No, we have not been able to substantiate the reckless driving. And that was why he was supposedly stopped? Right? That was why he was supposedly stopped in the very beginning. And that was the that was a concern. So, uh, of course, in an investigation, we began to look at what was the probable cause for the stop? Mm -hmm. Where were the cameras? Was there um, some evidence uh, on the body camera, on other cameras along those thoroughfares? And we've taken a a pretty uh, extensive look to determine you know, what that probable cause was, and we have not been able to substantiate that. It doesn't mean that something something didn't happen, that but the there's cameras, no proof. There's no, that the cameras didn't pick up. That the cameras didn't pick up. So before the incident, you're looking at other cameras, other surveillance right. cameras around the city? Around the city, other thoroughfares, you know, even business cameras, any uh, video footage that we could potentially pick up to see what occurred prior to this stop. The information that we have right now, of, based on what we could observe, is the stop itself and the first officer exiting his vehicle. And you'll see that on the body-worn camera. And at that time, the officers were already, you know, aggressive and amped up. And, and, up. Mm-hmm. and so you haven't found anything that's to substantiate the probable cause for reckless driving? Not at this time. And this was just within a couple hundred feet of his home? That's right. Of his home? That's right. A few okay. blocks away. Okay. Um, the, 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 he was apprehended by uh, the Scorpion unit, which was launched under your leadership in yes. 2021. Yes. Um, were they part of a street crimes unit? There was no. Were they looking for some other crime uh, other than reckless absolutely. driving for from Tyree Nichols? Absolutely. Well, you know the the Scorpion unit, the acronyms: Street Crimes Operations to Restore Peace okay. in Our Neighborhoods. The whole concept was based on the fact that we had an outcry because of three years of violence in the city. You know, um, numbers of violent crimes, robberies, homicides, aggravated assaults. And this is one of three teams whose uh, primary responsibility is to reduce gun violence, to um, be visible in communities, and, and to also impact the rise in the crime, basically out of, out of an outcry from the community. We had record numbers in 2021, 346 homicides. Okay. So this unit was put together, and they had great success, believe it or not, um, last year. Uh, was the first year in a long time that we had reductions. So, but is this an indication of a failure in that unit? Uh, this is an indication that there is 
uh, a gap somewhere in that unit. My observation is that, you know, we have several contributing factors. Um, we train and we retrain these officers, just like specialized units around the country. These officers in working in specialized units, you always need to make sure that the supervision is there and present. Do you fear that they have done something like this in the past? Do you have any evidence of that? Well, we don't have evidence at this particular time in looking at their disciplinary packages. However, we're taking a deeper dive into um, previous arrests, previous video camera footage. We also reached out to the IACP, who is who is who will work with the Department of Justice. We've asked the IACP and the Department of Justice to come in and take a look at our specialized units. We don't want any gaps yeah. in any of our units. I've heard about from you from every single person that I've spoken to that said the buck stops with you. Yeah. It's, do you, do you do you feel that you have any responsibility in this failure in this unit? Well, I can't remove myself from responsibility. And, and of course, we can't always be with our officers, but it's incumbent upon us to act and have checks and balances in place. But we have to rely on those individuals that are also in supervisory positions and commander's positions. But the accountability is throughout the police department, mm -hmm. all the way up to the chief. Did you have any interaction with any of the people in, the, in this unit, any of the officers in this unit? Uh, I've met them, you know, just, you know, one-on-one -on -one and had an opportunity to see them out. You know, uh, some of them uh, in some of the other units have received recognitions and awards because of the reductions in crime. But this particular unit, uh, even though you meet the officers, you don't know them as personally. Your impressions uh, of them? Um, my impressions of them, you really... you. They acted just like any other normal uh, mm -hmm. officer, you know, respectful when they see you. But uh, what I saw in this video was more of a, a group think sort of mentality, mm -hmm. you know, a group think. Um, and, and no one took a step to intercept or, you know, intervene. And that's why the charges are as severe as they are. Does this speak to officer better training for the officers? Because you said it's a group think. Yeah. That means there's something with the training, there's something within the department or police departments where the group think can cause something like this to happen. And and they have good training in that regard. I think one of the gaps that, you know, I have observed since being here is that we need more supervisors mm -hmm. in our police department. We have what we call a span of control, you know, issue. And as uh, we have eliminated a higher rank in the police department to create more supervisors. Let's talk about the video. Yes. Um, it has been said that it is reminiscent, perhaps worse than the Rodney King video. Is that your assessment? That's my assessment. Really? I, was, I was in law enforcement during the Rodney King um, uh, incident, and it's, it's you know very much aligned with that same type of behavior. It, that it's worse? Sort of groupthink. Um, I would I would say it's about the same, if not worse. If not worse. If not worse. So take us through the video tonight um, when it is released. It has been said there's over an hour. There's um, the pole cam. They said the sky cam and there's body one camera video. What are we going and, and how is it going to be distributed? Are you going to put it on social media? Are you sending it to the media? How is this going to be distributed? Actually, we plan to um, post it on a YouTube link so that it can be accessible to just about anybody who wants to access 
that video. Um, and we'll be pushing that out later on this evening. Um, the video is broken into four different sort of um, fragmented pieces, but they're all very relative to this, to this incident. The initial stop, the stop near um, uh, Tyree's home, mm -hmm. and also body-worn camera of individuals that were at that scene. Is it, um, was it released later on, on a Friday after 6.30, um, Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Was that, we we're, were told, I don't know if it's true, you can confirm it. Mm -hmm. It was so that the officers could leave the building safely no. in case there are protests. No. No, no, not then, at all. Then why? Well, we, we think about the entire public, to tell you the truth. We thought about schools. We thought about uh, business. And we felt like uh, Friday afternoon, if there were individuals decided they wanted to peacefully protest, at least other individuals would have you know, gone home, schools would be out, and it wouldn't be as disruptive as it would have been if we released it on a, on a Wednesday afternoon. In this video, it is said that Tyree Nichols cries for his mother. Did you hear that? I did. I heard him call out for his mother, for his mom. I did. And? That's why this incident, not just that, but just the, the disregard for, for uh, humanity, as, as I mentioned before, um, I think that's what really um, just pulls at your heartstrings and makes you wonder um, why was a sense of care and um, concern for this individual just absent from this situation by all who um, went to the scene. Speaking of the people who went to the scene, have you spoken? Did you speak to any of the officers after? I have Is not. That, you have not? I have not. You spoke to the family? Of I, Tyler have. Nichols? Yeah. I have. I um, have. You know, I think I, I was just as emotional as they were. Um, and you can't help but feel their pain. You can't help but even take ownership of what they are going through. And um, I've extended and availed myself to the family in the days to come, not just as you know, a police chief, but as a mother, as someone who felt the pain of uh, Ms. Wells and her loss and the sense of responsibility to do whatever I could, especially in the first steps of, of justice, mm -hmm. you know, to terminate these officers and, you know, and hopefully the rest of this process towards justice will be a swift. In just moments, I'm going to speak to her and the stepfather. What do you say to them? I continue to let them know that um, we pray for them and, um, and that I, I am still available. I, I extend um, heartfelt condolences, and I think, I think they know that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're going to be with them, you know, for the long haul. Why not speak to the officers after? You know, um, there's, there's not much you can say. Okay. The policy for the Memphis Police Department requires officers to intervene, stop excessive force, and report these incidents immediately. Did anyone on that video, will we see that? Did anyone do that, or will we see that on that video at all? You will not see that on that video. There are two members of the fire department who are involved. What do you know about them, and who are they? Um, I don't know them 
specifically? I know there are two officers or two firefighters that uh, were paramedics, and I believe that the fire chief quickly started an administrative investigation into their actions or inactions at that scene as well. What's their involvement? Do they fail to render proper care? Uh, based on the video, they fail to render proper care. They just stand based by? Based on my assessment. Yes. Yes. Do they, they? They just stood by. And didn't render care? They, they began to um, render care and concern, but it was long after several minutes, and uh, which was, you know, concerning for all of us mm -hmm. that... Um, we, we see a number of failures where individuals did not exercise the amount of care that we are responsible for. You know, no matter what, what, no matter what the cause is, we are responsible for exercising care. I want to go back just real quickly and ask you, so do we know what sparked the confrontation at the, at the initial stop? I, I think that's, that's the piece that is just unknown. No one knows. No one knows. And it's obvious when you see this video that it begins at a high level. Typically, when we have traffic stops, something sparks, or at least you're able to see what sparks this amount of aggression and physical, you know, activity with the driver. We, we cannot tell based on video what that was about. Well, when did the beating start? Was it initially or was it when he tried to run away? There is, there is physical interaction between Mr. Nichols and the driver at the mm -hmm. very beginning as the officers are trying to get him out the car. But it's still unknown what the original reason was for the stop in the first place. I have to ask you, it's five black officers, the black police chief, the black community. What do you make of the race of the officers and what that says to the community and to the country about the policing, the care well, I think it does, it takes off the table that issues and problems in law enforcement is about race, and it is not. It's about human dignity, integrity, accountability, and the duty to protect our community. And as, as this video will show you, it doesn't matter who's wearing the uniform, that we all have that same responsibility. So it takes race off the table, but it does indicate to me that bias might be a factor also in, you know, in the manner in which we, we engage the community. You've given, I'm so, um, I am, I appreciate, I shouldn't say happy because there's nothing happy about this, but I appreciate that you've taken the time to be so candid and to give us so much time. Is there anything that I missed, anything that you would like to say to the community, to the family, to the country, really, about what you're dealing with here? So um, as, as someone who's been involved in the whole police reform conversation, you know, going before the Senate, it's just important for me as a leader to, to not just talk about police reform, but to take swift action and also to, to represent other law enforcement leaders who have also reached out, who also believe that the way we handle these types of things, and unfortunately, a man had to die for us to get to a point where we could actually exercise what justice looks like. But it's important for us to prove to the community that no matter what, we're going to do the right thing and that we're going to work on our agencies. We're going to take a deeper dive and not just assume the officers are doing what they're supposed to do. Do you, before I let you go, do you need help from Washington? There's a George Floyd Policing Act in Washington that has 
just sitting there. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you say to our leaders? Uh, the George Floyd Policing Act, some of the recommendations I was able to be a part of, and actually that was part of my testimony, the duty to intervene, you know, um, ensuring chokeholds are banded, um, ensuring that they're national registries for officers when they do bad, they can't move to other agencies. We want those laws passed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, those laws were put on the table and pushed to the side under the previous administration. Some of those laws need to be passed so that agencies around the country will have consistency in the manner in which we deal with our community. I really appreciate you giving us the first interview. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your candor. Thank you. And the way that you're dealing with this. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And best of luck to you. We will be here throughout the day. And let's hope it works out and there's no violence. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you, Don. Chief. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So there you heard from uh, the police chief of Memphis, uh, C.J. Davis, speaking out about what is going on, her very first interview happening here on CNN. And uh, I want to bring in now my colleague Sarah Seidner to talk about some of this. Sarah, it's very interesting that the chief uh, discussed, during the initial stop, they still can't figure out exactly what led uh, to the violence and to, as she said, the officers being so amped up they had a duty to de-escalate. That did not happen. So again, what they're saying, that videotape, what they've been saying all along, the charges speak to what happened on that videotape. We're going to see it, but we're not sure we're going to get any answers about what led up to all of this. Don, my God, listening to uh, your interview with the police chief and how candid she was, the things that stood out to me were that the level of aggression, not on Tyree Nichols' part, but on these professional supposed officers part was um, unexplainable. That stood out to me, uh, that they were immediately aggressive instead of de-escalating when this stop first happened. The second thing that stood out to me from your interview is that she cannot on any of the video, and there are lots of video cameras, they call them sky cams or sky cop, that are on the poles along the streets. Mm -hmm. She cannot corroborate what the officer said happened for the reason for the stop, which was, they claimed, aggressive driving. Mm -hmm. She has looked at several different cameras yeah. and was unable to see any kind of aggressive driving. The third thing that stood out, Don, was yeah. that she said that this, very much like what we heard from the attorneys for the family, that Tyree Nichols was beaten very similarly in a similar, similar manner to what happened in 1992 in Los worse. Angeles with the beating, the police beating of Rodney King. She said, it is, if not the same, worse. Those are the things. What it leads worse. us to need to ask is, did the officers lie when they put forward why they stopped him and what actually happened? Did they put that down on a police report? And is that part of why uh, they are charged with some of the charges that they now face for official misconduct? And I think it's important as well. She said, I cannot remove myself out of this, you know, whole idea of responsibility. Obviously, she's not out there with the officers. They are grown people, adults, professionals. But she says there needs to be better training. 
Uh, obviously, something went, went wrong. This, was, this goes beyond training. She spoke to, you know, nationally what they need from the federal government, the type of reform that they need in order to fix these situations. And I also thought it was important she talked about race uh, as well, being a black uh, police chief and serving, black officers serving a black community. She said it, it, it takes for her race off of the table, and this is more about being uh, a human being, about acting in a humane way rather than an inhumane way. Sarah, thank you. We're going to continue to report this throughout the hour. We'll get back to my colleague Sarah Seidner here in Memphis as well. She's been covering and speaking to members of the community. She also, uh, the chief here, also spoke in this interview about the family of Tyree Nichols, the mother uh, and the stepfather. And in just moments, I'm going to speak with them live as well here on CNN. So back to my colleague, Caitlin Collins, who's in Washington, D.C. Um, Caitlin, she talked about the need for reform and the help from folks in Washington. And quite frankly, I hope they were listening to this interview and that they will act. That was a really consequential interview there, John. I mean, and just to hear her say that everything that they've observed that those officers did was outside their training is a stunning statement from the police chief. I mean, it will be fascinating to yeah. see how lawmakers here on Capitol Hill respond to that how the White House responds to it, because they've been weighing in as well. I'm going to be joined by the White House's John Kirby, the spokesman uh, for the National Security Council there next, how federal officials are preparing for possible civil unrest. We're going to discuss that, the latest on Ukraine aid and the tanks that are now being sent there. This is CNN's special live coverage. Stay with us. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Every Russian missile against our cities, every Iranian drone, which terrorists use, are arguments for why more weapons are needed. Only weapons neutralize terrorists. That's Ukrainian President Zelensky imploring the West for more assistance as Russia is ramping up its attacks on his country. Putin's army launched 70 missiles at Ukraine yesterday, according to Ukrainian forces. Russia also carried out 44 airstrikes, targeting energy facilities and killing around a dozen people. The latest spike in aggression came just hours after Germany and the United States announced they plan to send tanks to Ukraine. Joining us now to discuss this is National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. John, thank you so much for being with us. Obviously, Russia says they see this as the U.S. being directly involved now. Is the U.S. directly involved now? This is Russia's war on Ukraine. And that narrative has been something Putin's been putting out since the beginning, that this is the U.S. versus Russia, NATO versus Russia. And it's not. It's Russia versus Ukraine. And we're doing, not just we, so many other nations around the world are doing what we can to help Ukraine defend itself. Was the United States reluctant to send these tanks? This was an iterative conversation that we've had with the Ukrainians and with our allies and partners now for quite so many weeks, Caitlin, uh, about armored capabilities. Because we knew as we got through the winter and as we get ready to prepare for the spring or as the Ukrainians prepare for the spring, that having armored capabilities were going to be critical to their ability to conduct what we call combined arms operations, which is basically being able to fight in open terrain using integrating all your elements, infantry, artillery, and armor. And so the tanks were always a part of that conversation. But are the tanks going to be there if there is this expected spring offensive? The Leopard tanks will probably get there from the Germans and from their uh, our European allies and partners will get there uh, in relatively short order, uh, probably in time to help them uh, in the spring and, and summer. The American tanks, the Abrams, will take a little bit more time. It'll take many months before they can get on the ground. But we're not going to waste time. We're 
going to get Ukrainian soldiers into some training, make sure that they know how to maintain these tanks, and also help them make sure they've got a good supply chain for parts and supplies to keep them moving. You said many months. Will the tanks that the U.S. is sending be on the ground in Ukraine by the end of 2023? I I don't want to get too uh, specific because we're still working the plans out, but it'll be many months. Uh, the, The most important thing is that those Leopard tanks uh, will be there uh, in, uh, in shorter order. What about fighter jets? Because that's also something we're seeing the Ukrainians call for. President Zelensky, he's, he's talked about that before too, the, the, their desire for, uh, for fighter aircraft. Uh, I don't have any announcements or anything to say specifically about future packages, except to say that we are constantly talking to the Ukrainians about their needs and we wanna make sure that we're doing the best we can to meet them. And if we can't, you know, that some of our allies and partners can. Is President Biden considering a trip to Europe to coincide with the anniversary of the invasion? No travel to speak to today, Caitlin. Uh, he is staying in close contact with President Zelensky. They speak uh, quite frequently, quite often. Um, and again, our focus is on making sure that we're arming Ukraine. Does he still want to go to Ukraine? I think at the, you know the president would certainly, at whatever appropriate time, uh, w- would be willing to do that. But uh, we're not at that point right now. On classified documents, the National Archives has sent a letter to all former presidents and vice presidents, basically asking them to do a check if they have classified documents in their capacity, given what's happened with President Biden, President Trump, Vice President Pence. Does President Biden support that move by the National Archives and see it as necessary? He certainly respects the the call by the National Archives to to ask for that. Um, And as you know, uh, and we've said many times, he takes uh, the handling of classified material seriously. That's why we're being so cooperative uh, with the Department of Justice. Senators here on Capitol Hill have argued they're not getting access to these documents. Senators who are on the Intelligence Committee and say they should be able to see what these documents were that Biden took, that Trump took, that Pence still had in his capacity. Why is the administration not giving them access to those documents? These documents, uh, at least in the the case of the president, uh, are are in the possession of the Department of Justice. This is an ongoing investigation, and they have appointed a special counsel. We are going to respect that process, and embedded in that process is is making sure we preserve the integrity uh, of their ability to to go through those documents. But senators say that that's not precedent. They say the Justice Department's Russia investigation, you know, there was a special counsel there. They could still access those documents. Again, we're going to defer to the Department of Justice on this. They're the ones doing the investigation, uh, and we want to, again, we want to make sure that we're giving them the, the time and the space to do it in the way they see fit. Does the president want to see a change in how classified documents are handled? The president believes that, that we all have a responsibility to handle classified documents uh, appropriately. And there are very strict guidelines and procedures in place, have been for years. And, but and they're strict, time, how did he end up with so many documents? Over time, those, those procedures uh, can change, and we're always looking at whether or not we need to modify it. You know, with electronic transmission, things are different. So uh, we're certainly open to, to doing whatever procedural changes might be required, but, uh, but I don't think that we're at a point right now that we know that there are changes that need to be made. But it sounds like you would support looking at making changes. There is a constant process uh, in the federal government to review protocols to make sure that they're still appropriate. I mean, that's something that we just do routinely. I'm not aware of any need to change anything right now. Again, we're let the let the DOJ do their investigation and we'll see what comes out at the uh, other end. I want to ask you about Memphis because President Biden weighed in yesterday calling for a transparent investigation for the family of Tyree Nichols, saying that they deserve that. How is the federal government preparing in case there is unrest in Memphis when this video gets released tonight? Well, you heard the president yesterday join the family in calling for peaceful protest. Uh, we certainly don't want to see uh, anyone else hurt uh, by uh, by this terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, and we'll stay in close touch with uh, 
local and state authorities. Um, I, I don't have any federal assistance to speak to right now, uh, but obviously we're going to stay in touch with uh, with local authorities. And and uh, and should there be a need, we certainly would be part and parcel of that conversation. But hopefully that that the, the protests will stay peaceful. That's what I think everybody wants. And and frankly, you know, that's what's needed. John Kirby from the National Security Council. Thank you so much for joining you bet. us. My pleasure. All right. Also today, a competitive primary is now shaping up in California for longtime Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. She is still a sitting senator. She has not announced whether or not she plans to retire or run again. But Congressman Adam Schiff just announced he will be running for that seat. He'll gonna, he's going to join us live next. Also next, Don is live in the ground on the ground in Memphis ahead of the release of that video that we were just talking about there with John Kirby. In just 20 minutes from now, he's going to speak to Tyree Nichols' parents and the family's attorney, Ben Crump, about all of this. All right, we are back live here on Capitol Hill this morning. Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff has just officially announced he is running for the Senate in California, setting up a high-profile primary for 89-year-old Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. She has not announced her own plans yet. Senator, when are you going to make your decision about 2024? Oh, probably in a couple of months. My husband passed away not too long ago, and so I'm so get through it. But what do you make of people who are already announcing, like, Katie Oh, Porter? I think it's all fine. I think people should, if they want to run, run. As the reporter mentioned there, another California Democrat, Katie Porter, is also running for that same seat. Congressman Schiff of California is here joining us now. Congressman, good morning, and thank you for joining us. You know, what is the likelihood that you're going to potentially be running against a sitting senator here? Well, I met with Senator Feinstein a couple of days ago and, and have talked with her periodically. Uh, actually, we talked by phone a couple of days ago. I met earlier. Um, she's been very gracious, uh, expressed the same sentiments you just played uh, that was, you know, welcoming of my running for the office. She hasn't made a decision about her own plans. Uh, but, you know, I explained that uh, I think our democracy is deeply at risk. Uh, it remains uh, threatened by these extreme elements of the Republican Party including the former president. And I think a big challenge and part of the reason why it's so vulnerable is that uh, for too many millions of Americans, the economy just isn't working. Uh, they're working harder than ever, uh, still struggling to get by, keep a roof over the head, provide for their family. These are the issues I want to champion in the Senate. And uh, people that would like to support my campaign or learn more can go to adamschiff.com. Should we read into your launch that you believe that she will ultimately step down and not run again? Uh, you know, I would just say that I think, uh, and, and I say this out of respect for the Senate and more than that, admiration and, and affection for her, um, she's earned the right to make the decision on her own timetable, uh, and I want to give her the, the space and the distance uh, to do that. Uh, at the same time, as I mentioned, the Senator, it's a big state. I want to get out to every part of the state uh, and, and share the vision I have for leading uh, California in the Senate. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. The response has been wonderful from my colleagues in Congress, uh, from people up and down the state of California. Uh, but she'll make her decision uh, at the time she judges uh, the best, to, best time to do so. Yeah, and your colleague Katie Porter is also running in this race. If the senator does run again, she is the oldest member of the Senate right now. She runs again. She'll be 91 years old. Is it is 91 too old, in your view, for someone to be serving in the United States Senate? 
you know, I think that uh, age really depends on the, the capability of the member. And I don't know that there's a specific age uh, that beyond which you shouldn't run for office. Um, but I, I do want to speak to my own qualifications. Uh, over the last decade, I've been at the center of every fight to protect our democracy, uh, leading the investigations of former President Trump, leading the first impeachment trial, uh, securing the first bipartisan vote to convict a president in history, uh, participating in the January 6th hearings to hold those accountable who would overturn our democracy. California does uh, has come to expect uh, their senator to be in the middle of these fights, protecting California's rights and values and interests. And that's what I've been doing, and that's what I'd like to do in the Senate. Yeah, you mentioned Trump several times in your your launch video. How much of that has shaped what your run is going to look like and what it would be like if you do ultimately become the next senator from California? Well, you know, I think the fight for our democracy is far from over. Uh, and I have had to take on not only the former president, but uh, just within 24 hours of my announcement, I've been attacked by Mike Pompeo, by Kevin McCarthy, by Ted Cruz, by Roger Stone, you name it. You know, this extreme kind of MAGA world, uh, I'm definitely going to have to contend with. But, but I do think it, it shows my mettle. Uh, I've never backed down from these kind of difficult fights. Uh, and, you know, sadly, as long as Donald Trump is the leader of that party, um, then our, our values, our country, our democracy are going to be at risk. But, but I do want to underscore where I think this is all coming from. And again, it, I think it's the fact that over the last two or three decades, our economy has become structured in a way that people can be working full time and still not make enough to get by. Uh, they see their quality of life as less than their parents. Uh, and their children's future and doubt in it, it leads them to consider a demagogue who comes along and says that they alone can fix it. Uh, so these issues to me of the economy and fairness in the economy, uh, as well as our, our democracy are really intertwined. Well, Congressman, speaking of former President Trump, Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, has just announced that they will allow him back onto those platforms, onto Facebook. You believe that that's a bad decision? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I, I think it's really inexplicable except for, uh, you know, the profit motive of uh, Facebook and Meta. Um, if you look at what Donald Trump has been saying on his own uh, social media platform, the so-called Truth Social, um, none of that stuff, I think, would, would meet what Facebook says is its own standards. He continues to push out lies about the 2024 election. He can, continues to give aid and comfort to those who committed the act of insurrection, people he incited, talking about pardoning them. Uh, all of this should violate Facebook policies. So, you know, the, the, all the proof since he was uh, taken off the platform indicates that he wouldn't responsibly go back on the platform. Uh, and the only thing I think you conclude is they think it's a moneymaker to have him back, and that overrides the safety concerns uh, for the American people. Yeah, I'll note the ACLU says that Trump should be allowed back on. I do want to ask you about the classified documents discussion that we've all been having here in Washington. Now we've learned that the former Vice President Mike Pence also had classified documents found at his home. They've returned those over. But given there's a special counsel for Trump's classified documents, given there's a special counsel now for Biden's, does there need to be one for Pence in your view? You know, I think that the uh, attorney general will have to weigh the circumstances uh, where the documents were found, how many documents is the former vice president cooperating 
Um, I don't know that a special counsel is necessary in every case, uh, but the attorney general may want to consider it. Uh, you know, one of the things that's important to the, the Justice Department, I spent almost six years there, uh, is the appearance of fairness and the reality of fairness. Uh, and if the attorney general believes that in terms of the public uh, perception of whether the department is acting in an even-handed manner, that they should appoint a special counsel in the case of the vice president, then that's what he should do. You are in the House now. Of course, you're running for that Senate seat. As we noted, some of the Senate intelligence members say they are frustrated that the administration is not giving them access to these documents to be able to see them in a closed setting. Do you believe the Justice Department and the administration should give these lawmakers access to these classified documents? I think that we should certainly be briefed on the documents. Uh, and this was a point I made after the Mar-a-Lago discoveries. It was a point I reiterated after it was discovered that President Biden also had classified documents. The committee should be briefed on what's in those documents, what threat that may have been posed by where they were located, uh, and what steps are necessary to take to mitigate that threat. So you believe they should have access to those documents? I think they should be briefed on them, whether they need to have the specific documents in hand or not. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I would say that the, both the department and the Congress need to be careful that what we do in handling this doesn't interfere with any investigation that the Justice Department is conducting. Uh, so, you know, with that caveat, I think we should be briefed uh, in a way that, that allows us to do our oversight and protect our sources and methods. All right, Congressman Adam Schiff, now running for a Senate seat in California. Thank you so much for joining us on all of these important issues this morning. Thank you. All right, officials across the country are on high alert this morning. They are bracing for protests that could erupt after the release of that video showing the brutal beating by police of Tyree Nichols. We're gonna have more on that. We'll also have an exclusive interview with his parents. They're gonna sit down with Don just ahead. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. I'm Don Lemon, live in Memphis, Tennessee, where in just moments I'm going to speak with the parents of Tyree Nichols. The first interview that they have done since the officers have been charged. Also, I'm going to get their reaction to that extraordinary interview from the Memphis police chief where she says what we're going to see in that video that is released later is reminiscent, if not worse, than what happened with Rodney King. We're back live with CNN this morning in just moments. When that tape comes out tomorrow, it's going to be horrific. My Lord, my Lord. I didn't see it, but from what I hear, it's going to be horrific. I was outraged. I was, um, it was incomprehensible to me. It was unconscionable and um, I, I felt that I needed to do something and do something quickly. Uh, I don't think I've witnessed anything of that nature in my entire career. Down there. Mm -hmm. Good morning, everyone. I'm Don Lemon, live in Memphis, Tennessee, where in just moments we're going to speak with the parents of Tyree Nichols. You heard there the police chief of Memphis talking about what she saw on that videotape, what we're going to see a little bit later on this evening, six o'clock central time, seven o'clock after six o'clock central, after seven o'clock Eastern time, when that video is released. 
The police chief saying what she saw doesn't really explain why Tyree Nichols was stopped in the first place. And it speaks to just how horrific this videotape is, saying that it is reminiscent, if not worse, than what we saw with Rodney King. Take a listen. Can we talk about the nature of the stop? Yes. Why? Why? What was the nature? Why was he stopped? Well, um, I'm going to be honest with you about the stop itself. Uh, what is what was said was that there was um, a witnessing of what was considered reckless driving. Um, we've looked at cameras. We've looked at body worn cameras. And even if something occurred prior to this stop, we've been unable to substantiate that at this time. Um, not, so you, you haven't been able to, to substantiate a reckless, the reckless, the reckless driving. driving at not, all? No, we have not been able to substantiate the reckless driving. And that was why he was supposedly stopped? We've taken a, a pretty extensive look to determine you know, what that probable cause was, and we have not been able to substantiate that. It doesn't mean that something, something didn't happen. But the there's cameras, no proof there's no, that the cameras didn't pick up. That the cameras didn't pick up. It has been said that it is reminiscent, perhaps worse than the Rodney King video. Is that your assessment? That's my assessment. Really? I was I was in law enforcement during the Rodney King um, uh, incident. And it's it's, you know, very much aligned with that same type of behavior. It, that it's worse sort of group think. Um, I would I would say it's about the same, if not worse. If not worse. If not worse. So I am joined now by Ravon and Rodney Wells, the parents of, of um, Mr. Nichols here and of Tyree Nichols and also Benjamin Crump, the family attorney. I thank you so much for joining us. Thank I really you, appreciate you. I don't know how you're holding up and able to do this under these circumstances, but we're certainly grateful that you're here. Thank you. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing as well as can be expected. It's very difficult right now. I'm still trying to understand all of this and trying to wrap my head around all of this. It's still like a nightmare right now. So, I do, can I just be honest. Listen, just conducting this interview, I'm a mama's boy. I was also a skater, so mm -hmm. I was a skater, skateboarder growing up. Um, and so you know, I just can't imagine my mother dealing with this when you walked in you said don i'm not very good at this and i said i got you mm -hmm. what do you mean you're not very who would be good at this exactly who would be good at this i don't know because this is very difficult this is very difficult yeah yes how are you doing dad i'm hanging in there you know i have to be strong for the family so we have other siblings that we have to be strong for also mm -hmm. did you hear the chief Yes. What did you think? I respected what she said. She's doing an excellent job, I feel. Um, she's moving things along, and I just, I like what she's doing. She said that there has been nothing, that no evidence that they have found so far to substantiate why the officers stopped Tyree Nichols. No evidence so far. What did you make of that? Don, I think it's telling because there's so much videotape America's about to see. Over an hour long video from a pole camera that catches a lot of the tragedy. All this body cam footage. If Tyree was driving reckless, 
We should see it. We're not saying that they're lying, but we should see it. And the fact that they can't show it to us further underscores why this was so unnecessary. Hmm. So unnecessary. I have to say this. Because, like Miss Wells said, how swiftly they moved in Memphis and how swiftly the district attorney brought charges against these five black police officers. This is now the blueprint right. for America. When you see officers committing crimes on video, mm -hmm. then you can't tell us that you got to go six months, you got to go a year. No, when it was these black officers, we saw it move swiftly. And so think about all the ones we covered, Don. I mean, the Tamir Rices, mm -hmm. the Michael Browns, uh, Ahmad, all these cases took so long for Lando Castillo for them to charge. Mm -hmm. But here in Memphis, mm -hmm. we now have the blueprint that it can be it done can. swiftly and efficiently. You're shaking your head in agreement and you're saying yes. Yes. Why? Because um, just the way they move so fast, I don't understand why they couldn't do that in other cases, but just to know that they moved as fast as they did lets us know that it can be done. You wanted first-degree murder charges? Yes. You didn't get that? No. The charges that were filed against those officers are good charges. Those are the charges that I feel will stick. Uh -huh. And so I'm happy with the charges that the district attorney has set forth. 20 days since this happened. Yes. Without your baby. Yes. Yes, this is hard. No, I don't have my baby. I'll never have my baby again. But I do know that he was a good person and that all this, all the good in Tyree will come out. And so... That's what keeps me going because I just feel like my son was sent here on assignment from God, and his assignment is was over. It's over, and he was sent back home, and God is not going to let any of his children's names go in vain, so when this is all over, it's going to be some good and some positive because my son was a good and positive person. Mm -hmm. I, and that's what keeps me going. Have you gotten any sleep? Not really, but it, it's what it is. Mom, when did you first learn about this? How did you hear? The Memphis Police Department banged on our door approximately around between 8.30 and 9 o'clock asking if I knew Tyree Nichols. And we said, yes, what's going on? He's been arrested. Arrested for what? DUI. DUI? My son don't drink like that. What do you mean DUI? Well, we had to pepper spray him and tase him, so he's being attended to by the paramedics 
and we'll send him to the hospital. And then after that, he'll go to booking. What? They then asked me, was he on any type of drugs or anything of that nature? Because he was, they were saying that it was so difficult to put the handcuffs on him. And he had this amount of energy, superhuman super energy. And what they were describing was not my son. So I was very confused. I asked if I can go to the hospital. They told me no. They left. My husband and I, we got in our car and we went to go see if we could find Ty because he wasn't answering his phone or anything. When I asked them where my son was, they said nearby. Nearby? What is nearby? I got nothing from them. I think now that I'm actually putting things together, I believe they were trying to cover it up when they first came to my door. Mm -hmm. So around four o'clock in the morning, the doctors called from St. Francis and said, Mrs. Wells, do you know your son's in the hospital? And I said, yes. I was advised by the police officers. He said, why aren't you here? And I said, the police officer said that I couldn't come because he was under arrest. The doctor proceeded to tell me that my son had went into cardiac arrest and that his kidneys were failing. This doesn't sound consistent to somebody being tased or pepper sprayed. When my husband and I got to the hospital and I saw my son, he was already gone. They had beat him to a pulp. He had bruises all over him. His head was swollen like a watermelon. His neck was busting because of the swelling. They broke his neck. My son's nose looked like an S. They actually just beat the crap out of him. And so when I saw that, I knew my son was gone then. Even if he did live, he would have been a vegetable. So once I got to the hospital, all the police officers were basically whisked out because I heard that the TBI had taken over the investigation. And that was it. They spoke to us, asked a bunch of questions. But I knew something wasn't right. I just didn't understand why they stopped my son in the first place. You said that you thought from the initial time when they contacted you that they were trying to cover up. Why did you think that? Well, I didn't think that initially as I started getting information and information mm -hmm. was coming to me because they made it seem like the stop and the start, the start and the stop of the was at a certain location mm -hmm. when actually they were less than 80 feet from my home. 
You talked about what you saw. No, I hate to bring this up, but I just have to be honest. You know Emmett Till? Yes. It's reminiscent of that. I haven't seen the video. I'm talking about what you saw when you went to the hospital. Oh, yes. 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 That was, that was terrible. Dad, would you you agree with that? Oh, most definitely. Because I'm the one who took the picture that's being circulated. And I took the picture because he was in such horrific condition. Um, he shouldn't have been in that condition from pepper spray and tasing. He was never conscious. Never. No. You said no. you said you believe if he lived, he would have been a vegetable. Yes. Yeah. Um, the last words on that video that America's going to hear, and Miss Wells, he calls out for you three times, mm -hmm. gut wrenching, screams for his See. mom. Go ahead, Mom. That was my baby. He was a mama's boy. That boy loved me to death. He has my name tattooed on his arm. People don't know what those five police officers did to our family. And they really don't know what they did to their own families. They have put their own families in harm's way. They have brought shame to their own families. They brought shame to the black community. I just feel sorry for, I feel sorry for them. I really do. I really feel sorry for them. Why do you say that? Because... They didn't have to do this. And like I said, they brought a lot of shame to their own family. Once you see this video, and I know I didn't see it, but from what I hear, it's horrific. And the humanity of it all, where was the humanity? They beat my son like a piñata. My son... He was, he had Crohn's disease. He had surgery in, in 2013. My son weighed a buck 50. He was 6'3", and he weighed a buck 50. And those men, if you combine their weights, they all, it was over a thousand pounds, beating and beating a 150-pound person to death because that's what they did. They beat my son to death. He cried out for his mom. Yes. Yes, he cried out for me because I'm his mother, and that's what he was trying to get home to safety. And it was funny. I was in the room earlier and my stomach started hurting so bad. And I went into the den. I told my husband, my stomach is hurting so bad. And once I found out what happened, it was just the fact that I was feeling my son's pain. I was feeling my son's pain when they were beating him to death. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
you said that you felt sorry for them. Where does that come from, Mom? I don't hate anybody. That's not in my nature. I just feel sorry for them because they did something horrendous. And I don't know. I don't know. You said they brought shame on themselves, their family, and you brought they brought shame on the black community. Can you speak to these are all black officers? No. People try to say, black people, we only try to go after white officers. That's not true. We don't care what color the officer is. We want bad officers taken off the force. We know there's a lot of great officers. I know officers. But there are bad officers, too. And those are the ones that we need to get rid of. Because all these kids that are dying and being killed at the hands of police officers, their parents pay taxes. They're paying their salaries. And then they have to be murdered by a person who's they're paying their salaries. That's not right. Why is it that black and brown kids always get beat up when they are encountered with the police? We just had an incident in Memphis right after my son with the white guy who spit on police officer. They didn't beat him to death. Why? And I'm not saying they're supposed to, but why? They ran. They didn't get beat up. I don't care what color police officer, but by them being black, it hurt the black community. You think there's a bias built into the system of regardless of what yes. color the officer is? Yes. What would you say to these officers, Mom? I would say to these officers that you have to show some compassion to people. We all know that a lot of these police officers intimidate black people in order for them to do something. They're waiting for them to do something. And they need to learn that everyone is human and everyone should be treated with respect. Yes. Yes. She didn't see the video. You saw the video. Yes. What are we going to say, Rodney? Uh, from the initial encounter, um, you can't even look that way when he talks about the video. No, I, I didn't want her to. I didn't want her to see the video, or hear the video. Um, it was our attorney's request that she could stay in there as long as she could. Um, she heard one word and had to leave out the room, and that was when they initially was pulling him out the car. He said, "What did I do?" I knew that's what he said. He said, what did I do? Why are y'all doing this to me? What did I do? And they proceeded to snatch him out of the car and was trying to wrestle him to the ground. Mm -hmm. And 
he got scared. So he was athletic enough to get out of their situation and run. And he was trying to run home because we were, he was three blocks from the house when they stopped him. Um, so after the initial encounter, we didn't see everything because actually when the body cam started, mm -hmm. they were already engaged. Um, and then there was the second body cam with the, the uh, sky cam that um, videoed the encounter. And when I saw the police officer, you know, they have this little, like, stick, uh, this metal thing that they pull out. Yeah, pull out, like uh -huh. an antenna. Uh, like an antenna, right. exactly. Retractable. Yes, and I saw them pull that out and started beating my son with it. Um, I saw officers hitting on him. I saw officers kicking him. One officer kicked him like he was kicking a football a couple of times. <laughs> And, uh, but the most, the most telling thing about the video to me was the fact that it was maybe 10 officers on the scene and nobody tried to stop it or even after they beat him and, and they propped him up against a car, no one rendered aid to him whatsoever. They walked around smoking cigarettes like it was all calm and like, you know, bragging about what happened. And, For a, an hour of video? Yes. And he, you saw him just sitting there? He was sitting there and then he slumped over. And an officer walked over to him and said, sit back up, mother MF, you know. And while he's handcuffed. So he had to... They popped him back up, and he slumped over again, and they popped him back up again. But no one was rendering aid. I saw some uh, fire department people come out there, and they just walked around. Nobody showed him any aid, and they supposed to be uh, trained in first aid. Um, by the time the paramedic truck pulled up, that's when we couldn't see anything because the paramedic truck blocked the camera. So. I was told that the lady who was driving the paramedic truck never got out. Sad. So it was it was just, you know, to watch your son, as we state all the time, 150 pounds. How could he pose a threat to their lives to where they had to take his life? Unarmed. Unarmed. What's your message? My message is the same as my wife said. Hopefully from this situation that we have reformed, that police get better training, that, you know, I've heard from people because of this, where this particular unit, has, Scorpion. Scorpion unit, has beat up other people. But because... They didn't die. It's not publicized. It's like they, it's, it's washed under the rug. You think more is going to come out then? I believe that more is going to come out. It's going to be a strong reaction dilemma after George Floyd, after so many of these tragedies. We pray for reform. Can I ask you something? She said her son came here on a mission. And she doesn't hate anybody. She feels sorry for them. 
doing the work that you do, is there a lesson in it? You said this is a blueprint, should be a blueprint for around the country. So if the, what is the mission? What will accomplish the mission that she believes that her son was sent to this earth for and taken too quickly? And the prayer that I believe Miss Wells is articulating is that this won't have to happen to other young black and brown children. We don't have to learn so many hashtags, darling, but I don't have to keep talking to you on CNN week after every other week about yet another unarmed black person has been killed by police in a, a highly controversial manner. Hopefully, this institutional police culture that says it's okay to engage in excessive force against black and brown people will finally be dealt with. We won't continue to try to say that, oh, it's training. They can de-escalate just fine when it's white citizens. We see that all the time. But it's when it's black and brown citizens, no matter if the police are black, Hispanic, or white, they seem to do the most, Don Lemon. And so this is the blueprint from now. You know, Memphis Police Department terminated them immediately. The DA brought charges within 20 days. Now, when it's not black officers, we want to see the same type of justice. Mm -hmm. Mom? Yes. What you gonna miss about him the most? His beautiful smile. And just, my son had a beautiful soul and he touched a lot of people. And I always joke, cause he'll come in the house and he'll come in and say, hello parents. <laughs> I'll never hear that again. I'll never cook for my son again. Mm -hmm. I'll never get a hug from my son again. Mm -hmm. I won't get anything from my son again. Mm -hmm. Just because some officers decided they wanted to do harm to my son. Mm. And so, this is a very difficult thing. Mm. No mother should have to go through this. No mother. Mm. And I never thought in a million years that I would be sitting on your show speaking about my deceased son that was killed by the Memphis Police Department. You only get one mom. Yes. And I just, I don't even know what to say. I'm, it's just so you know. I said I was a skater growing up. My mom is with me now, visiting from Louisiana. Oh. Sure, her um, boyfriend, she found her dead on Christmas Eve. And she's supposed to stay with me for two weeks, and now she's been with me for a month, and she's going to continue to stay with me. She's been cooking for me, so I relate to what's going on mm -hmm. to you, especially the black family. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter the race of the officer. No. No one deserves to be treated like that. No one. You can be co-opted, no matter what race, by a system mm -hmm. that is biased. Yes.
And I appreciate you saying that because the world should, doesn't matter the race of the officer. People just want to be treated with dignity mm -hmm. and fairness. Exactly. And for a traffic stop, no one should have to die. Exactly. And I just want to say thank you to the district attorney because he's working very hard on this. And he was just elected in. And he's doing an excellent job as well as the chief of police. You know what's extraordinary, as painful as this is, you haven't heard this family espouse one ounce of hate. They continue no. to say, we just feel terrible that they did this to our child. So, right. That's Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. We're back in a moment. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. All right, we're back live on Capitol Hill this morning. President Biden here in Washington is reiterating his refusal to negotiate over raising the debt limit as he is warning of economic chaos by MAGA Republicans. Here's the deal. You're going to cut your social, they want to cut your social security and Medicare. Beyond that, they're actually threatening to have us default on the American debt. But I will not let anyone use the full faith and credit of the United States as a bargaining chip. The United States of America, we pay our debts. Senator Joe Manchin is urging the White House to begin talks with Republicans after he met privately with Speaker Kevin McCarthy to discuss raising the debt ceiling. Senator Manchin joins us now. You've heard the president there. He says he believes that these MAGA Republicans are trying to destroy the economy over the debt ceiling. Is he right? Well, I don't want to think that. I don't think anyone wants to just destroy our economy. But, you know, you've got to talk. You've got to converse with, with all people up here on all sides with different opinions. First of all, we have to recognize we have a $31.5 trillion debt that's not getting any smaller. And we're, we're writing, I always said we're writing checks our, our children can't cash. So it's, we have a responsibility to say this debt in the last two decades has grown over 20 to $25 trillion. It's unacceptable. It's just wrong. So we have to sooner or later. And this is a time it seems like the high theatrics uh, can go on. But uh, 2011 didn't, didn't work out well for anybody. Uh, and a lot of people were harmed, and we shouldn't go through that again. But there should be conversations going on and communication as how we're going to basically start addressing this debt. Well, you met privately with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Mm -hmm. The president said there that Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. Is that what he told you? Not at all, no. And I understand we're, you know, from the Democratic Party where they would be coming for and saying that's, that's the thing that gets people scared, okay? And in West Virginia, I have 60% of my elderly retired people that all they have is Social Security and Medicare. And I just told Kevin, I said, Kevin, you and I both know that's not going to happen. Take that off the table. That should be the holy grail. The people that are receiving their benefits now are going to continue to receive them and we're going to do everything we can to solidify. What we should be doing is in the long term, how do you solidify it so no one has to worry that has paid into it and earned it? That's he, what we should be working. He said, fine, I agree with that. So he said, Social Security and Medicare cuts are off People the that are receiving Social Security and Medicare should not be scared that they're going to be losing that or get cut. What can happen if we don't address the debt? There's automatic cuts would happen to both if they become deficient and they're shown to run out of money or basically be drastically harmed. 
financially here fairly soon, five, six, seven, eight years from now. But did he commit to you that he would not touch those? Those two, yes. He did say that. He said, he said, no, he has no intention of doing that. He might have his other, uh, he's just speaking on behalf of himself. He says, I have no intention of basically going after or cutting Social Security and Medicare as people are receiving it now. Did he say what is on the chopping block? What no, they they're are not. Considering? Here's the thing. I think I said, and Kevin and I had a good conversation. I said, Kevin, he said, what we should be looking at is do we have any areas? You know, let's look where the discretionary and non-discretionary funds have increased rapidly in the last, last few years. Are there things there that basically we could? Or is there any way that someone could say, can you at least cut a penny out of every dollar that we spend? Or maybe three pennies out of every dollar or five? I don't know. With any of this, there has to be some restraint. But you at least ought to converse about it. But just start accusing people. They're going to say, well, you're going to cut here, here, and here. And I'll guarantee you, if I'm trying to make you look as, as scary as I can on the other side, saying you better stick with me because they're going to do this and this to you, how would I know that unless I just speculate and try to pick the most popular things to say that's exactly what you want to do? I don't believe that, and you don't know until you sit down and start talking. And I truly believe, uh, Caitlin, with all my heart, that if the president and, and Chuck uh, Schumer and Kevin McCarthy, and they all sit down, and then you can find out what the true intent is. But right now, speculation isn't doing anything but just raising everyone's uh, anxiety, if so you will. you think it's time for President Biden to invite Kevin McCarthy to the White House? President Biden's great to talk to. You can sit down and talk with him, and you can work things out. He's reasonable, okay? And I don't know why, for some reason, they're saying, well, we're not going to come on over and talk and have coffee, but we're not going to negotiate. Well, have a good conversation. Do we all think that the $31.5 trillion is out of control and more than what we should be carrying right now? We have the ability to correct this. But the further it grows and the larger it grows, the harder it becomes. Then you have the debt payment. You know, for 10 years, the debt was around zero. I mean, the interest rates was around zero from the feds. Now, as the interest rates are growing, we're going to have a challenge to where very shortly we'll be paying more to service. We'll be paying more to service the, uh, service the debt that our country's carrying than we will to defend our country. Do you think in the end the White House will end up negotiating with Republicans? I just think that Joe Biden understands how this place works, okay? And everybody says in 2011, he was the one that came over and made the deal to put us back put the government back where? He was right. vice president. He was vice president. And a lot of Democrats got mad because at that time, they were not willing to sit down, I guess, and, and, and try to work things out. And President, Vice President Biden at that time came over and started working with Mitch McConnell and came up with an agreement, and we moved on. The government opened back up. That damaged everybody, and the average consumers and the average constituents and the average Americans got hurt the most. On the classified documents, the president has said he has no regrets about how they've ha handled that since then. You've said that you do believe he should have a lot of regrets about how I it's been it. handled. Sure, you should have regrets on that. You know, however it happened, I don't think anything was intentional. And I can't, now we're finding out whoever had access. The top, you know, there's a top eight in, in this, uh, in our government that get classified information a little differently than the rest of us. We usually go down in a skiff. Uh, they, and, and all the senators and congresspeople have to go into that skiff. And there is no way in the world that we're able to take that out of that skiff, which is a secured area. Now, president, vice president, and those are have them delivered to them, whether it be at the White House or be at their office. Uh, I, I just say there has to be better checks and balances on this. But now we find that you know, Vice President Vice uh, Pence, uh, both of our presidents, former President Trump and now president, Everybody should have regrets because it can get into the wrong hands. And classified documents are truly classified. Top secret 
is absolutely top secret and something that could harm our uh, could harm our defense of our country and basically the people who were able to get the information that we need to make sure that we're defending our country properly. The president has said he takes classified documents seriously, but does it seem that way to you? It seems that basically we have no checks and balances when it comes to that level, okay, and how that would have happened. I know he takes it seriously when he reads them. He gets briefed every morning, and basically he's been involved for so many years that he has been at the skiff as much as we have been at the skiff seeing what goes on and they always say are you clean when you go in take all your electronics off when you're coming out they're saying are you clean you have anything on you so you're basically saying it's a different standard that applies to you and some other senators than it applies to those on the intelligence committee or maybe the president well the there's eight president. there's eight you have the intelligence committee and you have basically the speaker and you have the Senate majority and minority leaders so you have the eight and the president and vice president and they're 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 exposed a little differently, yes. Are you worried that this cast a cloud over the expected 2024 announcement from President Biden? Well, every day something new comes out and somebody else has got, they're finding him. I think what they ought to do is find out how this happened. How would it ever happen? Who boxed up the materials? Who would ever have the materials basically in the same as my papers and my, when I clear my office out, papers I have uh, and certain papers in certain areas, but who would ever have secured classified documents in the same area as your general correspondence would be. That doesn't make sense to me at all. So it does cast a cloud over it, you it think? Casts a, well, what, it casts a cloud over the whole process, uh, saying that one person's more guilty than the other. I think the smart thing that was done here is Merrick Garland has special counsel. Let the special counsel do their job, and I think they will do an, a, a very good job, very thorough job, but hopefully give us a, a remedy of how we can prevent this from ever happening again. You tried to pass a measure yesterday uh, blocking some electric vehicles from getting a $7,500 tax credit if they don't meet the new requirements that are part of the IRA that was passed last fall. Senator W. Stavano blocked that measure, thwarted that measure. What are you going to do next to try well, basically, to prevent that from happening? The, 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 the Treasury Department and Janet Yellen have had a conversation. We just totally disagree on how she's basically rolling out and allowing. She's picking and choosing. They're picking and choosing to say, okay, uh, before, if we did nothing on this bill, if there was never an IRA bill, then not one manufacturer of cars in the United States of America, Ford, General Motors, or, uh, or Toyota, would be able to get any credits, would be able to give any discounts because they had already hit their cap of 200,000 cars, and that was over. This new pr uh, proposal that we have and the IRA, we just said we're not going to be beholding on all of our dependency on China to produce the batteries that these cars run on. And right now they have a lock on them, about 80% of the market tied up. So we've got to get back into the game if you want to have a transportation mode that's not dependent on foreign supply chains. So if you basically secure the rare earth minerals from North America, or our uh, uh, countries that we have a free trade agreement with, so we're not being held hostage, that gets $3,750. If you manufacture the batteries in North America, that's another $3,750. If you want manufacturing to come back to the United States, then you better be able to have a supply chain you can depend on. All of a sudden, they come out and say, well, we don't have the rules and regs done, and the law was very clear in July when the President uh, signed it. Yeah. By December 31st, you had to have it. She's not in compliance. But they picked and choose. They said, well, we'll continue to give you 7500 if you're within the range of the cars or the range of your income. I said, Janet, you can't pick and choose. Get the rules and regulations. And Debbie and I just have a fundamental disagreement. 
But we'll see what you do next on that. I do want to talk to you about 2024 before you go. Are you going to be backing Senator Kirsten Sinema if she runs Absolutely. in Arizona? Kirsten Sinema deserves to be backed. She deserves to have the support of all of us because you Including have to Including Senator Chuck Schumer. You have to have people in the middle. If you don't have a middle, you don't have America. If you don't have people that's putting America first, and this is all about bringing Americans together, you've got to find people that are willing to take a vote against their party, against basically the pressures of a party movement, whether it be Democrat or Republican. And we find very few people that are willing to say, listen, this doesn't make sense. I'm going to go home. I'm going to vote for this and go home and explain it. Have you made a decision about running in 2024? I, have I haven't. I've got plenty of time. And I'm if not you running. run, will there be a D next to your name? I haven't made any decision on anything because I'm not in a hurry to do that. Some people say a presidential sure, run could be in your I want to make sure that basically whatever I do, I'm able to help bring this country together. It's Americans together, and that's what we should be doing. Americans want to be united, and the politics of America right today is basically dividing people. They're making you pick a side. What side are you on? You should be on one side, the American side. Not a Democrat side better than a Republican, or a Republican better than a Democrat, but the side of America. Senator Joe Manchin, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you, Caitlin. Right, you heard Senator Joe Manchin there weighing in. Also, of course, uh, back in Memphis, we are covering what's happening there on the ground. We are waiting for the release of the video. We are expecting it later today, showing five Memphis officers the beating of Tyree Nichols, as you heard Don speaking with his family. Those five officers have been indicted on murder and kidnapping charges. Don is going to speak to the attorney representing one of those officers. That's next. I'm Don Lemon, live in Memphis. As the country braces for the release of this tape showing exactly what led to the death of Tyree Nichols, five police officers have been indicted on murder and kidnapping charges. Now, Nichols was pulled over for what the officers say was reckless driving. Just last hour, the Memphis police chief told me that she has not seen any evidence to substantiate that claim. We've looked at cameras, we've looked at body-worn cameras, and even if something occurred prior to this stop, we've been unable to substantiate that at this time. Um, not so you, you haven't been able to, to substantiate a reckless, the reckless, the driving. reckless driving at not, all? No, we have not been able to substantiate the reckless driving. And that was why he was supposedly stopped? We've taken a, a pretty extensive look to determine you know, what that probable cause was, and we have not been able to substantiate that. It doesn't mean that something, something didn't happen, that but the there's cameras. no proof. And CNN has learned that of the five officers who were indicted, only one remains in jail. The other four were released on bond. Desmond Mills Jr. is one of those four officers posting his $250,000 bond last night, and he is back home now with his family. So speaking of that officer, I'm joined now by the attorney for Desmond Mills, Jr., Blake Ballin. Blake, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, the police chief in an interview just a short while ago said that there is no evidence to substantiate the claim of reckless driving. They haven't found any evidence in video or otherwise. Right. What's your reaction to that? Uh, that uh, proof's in the pudding. I need to see it. I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen the video that we're all waiting to see. I haven't seen anything about the stop. Uh, from a defense standpoint, this is the beginning stages of things, and uh, we are looking forward to seeing what evidence they have. He, the officers had a duty of care. Uh, it was said by the police chief that they did not follow the, the Memphis Police Department guidelines for duty of care. They did not render care. Obviously, there is the, also the kidnapping charge as well. How do you respond to that? 
Well, specifically focused on that kidnapping charge, and, and of course, having not seen this video, it's difficult for me to talk about the facts, but to say that uh, you know, an, an officer who crosses a line or does something illegal in uh, detaining somebody has committed an aggravated kidnapping is a, a dangerous precedent to set. Why do you say that? Well, every time a Fourth Amendment uh, violation occurs, every time somebody claims they have been wrongfully arrested by a police officer, whether uh, an egregious violation or a slight one, uh, are officers now looking at being charged with an A felony and looking at up to 25 years in jail? It's going to make it difficult for officers to do their jobs. There is the uh, attempted murder charge, or the murder charge, I should say, second-degree murder charge. You believe that that is an overcharge and difficult to prove? Why? So that requires uh, that they prove that Mr. Mills acted with a reasonable degree of certainty with regard to uh, his actions, that his actions were certain to cause death. And that's just simply not the case. Uh, when this video comes out, uh, I expect that Mr. Mills will not be delivering blows that cause death. Why do you believe that? Because I've sat down with Mr. Mills. I've looked him in the eye. Uh, I know the kind of person he is. Uh, I've talked with uh, other people who've seen the video, and, and I just don't believe that Mr. Mills is capable of committing that act. What did he tell you about the confrontation? Uh, I cannot tell you what my client has told me. Can you give us an indication of You're saying that you don't believe that he delivered blows, so obviously in your conversations, he told you, I did not deliver blows. He's not the only person I've talked to, Don. Okay. You've so talked to others? I've talked to say? others, and the levels of culpability amongst these five officers are different. And I expect that uh, you're going to see in this video that, that my client, Desmond Mills, uh, is not, in fact, guilty of the crimes he's been charged with. Then why wouldn't he render aid if there were other people who were culpable? And, uh, go on, sorry. No, I mean, there are circumstances we don't know about yet, uh, whether Mr. Mills was injured, whether he... Uh, there's pepper spray flying in the air. Uh, what he was doing while others were acting in, in an unlawful way, I, until I see that video, I can't, I can't say. Speaking to the father of Tyree Nichols, he said there's videotape. The, the tape shows uh, that Tyree was propped up against a wall, handcuffed, that he slumped over. The officers lift him back up and says, you know, some expletives about sit up or get up. If he's sitting there, why officers couldn't just try to get him to a hospital to get aid to him, to, to the paramedics? I haven't seen any of this. Uh, when I do, I can comment on it. Um, for, for now, I just I cannot answer that without having seen this video. The reason that you believe that there's different levels of culpability is because of the amount of bail? Is that what, what you believe? That's part of it. Part of it is just my discussions with uh, my client, with uh, the district attorney, with the U.S. attorney. I mean, I've, I've been in constant contact with uh, the prosecutors here. So uh, while I haven't seen the video, I know a little bit about uh, what's going on here. And I, I expect there's going to be uh, different levels of action here. And so I caution everyone to, to look at this with an open mind and to treat each of these officers as individuals. As you, you know, under these circumstances, when you have someone who's died and then that you have the you know, everyone involved, most people involved saying, listen, the videotape is damning. It's going to be hard to get some level of sympathy or empathy um, for your client. You have been saying that you've spoken to his family members and about the history and who Officer Mills is or as a, as a person and was as an officer. Let me say this uh, first, that uh, my heart goes out to uh, the Nichols family. Uh, as a defense lawyer, this is an interesting case for me. 
Uh, I have dedicated my professional life to fighting against injustice in this system, um, to fighting against a system where there is systemic racism for centuries. And to now find myself representing somebody who's a part of that system is an interesting position to be in. But I want to remind everybody that just because Mr. Mills was a part of that system doesn't mean that he can't also be a victim of it. And so it's my job to, to protect him and to protect his rights. Um, and I'm doing that not only because I believe in the system, but because I believe in Mr. Mills. Uh, I have talked to his family, I've talked to his father, I've looked him in the eye, and I've learned the kind of person Desmond Mills is. Uh, he is a good man. There are plenty of bad officers out there. There are plenty of good ones. Uh, the vast majority are good, and I believe Desmond Mills is a good person. Why do you say he's a victim of the system? I, I'm saying he could be a victim of the system, that just because he is a officer, a former officer, because he is part of the system that, that I, as a defense lawyer, spend my career fighting against, doesn't mean that now that he's on the other side, that he couldn't also become a victim of that. And so that's why uh, I and all the other lawyers here are going to vigorously defend our clients. Is he remorseful? You know, he is remorseful that, that he is attached to anything like this, that uh, he is involved or connected to the death of somebody who, sh whose life should not have been taken. Uh, that is devastating to him. He's, uh, he must be remorseful that there is someone who died. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Blake Ballard. Yes, sir. I appreciate Thanks you joining us. Thank you so much. So, Caitlin, uh, as a wrap it up here in Memphis, at least for um, the purposes of our show, I know that you have been speaking to lawmakers and listening to the interview from the police chief uh, saying that they need help from Washington. They need help from the president of the United States. They want to get the George Floyd, George Floyd um, Justice and Policing Act passed. The mother uh, of Tyree Nichols, the father of Tyree Nichols, Benjamin Crump, the family attorney, also saying that this needs to be a blueprint of how to move forward in these cases and that there needs to be better training and that our laws need to be changed. And that has to come from our lawmakers. Yeah, Don, I, I was sitting here with Senator Manchin while you were interviewing his family and his parents and the attorney there. And it was hard to listen to, you know, listening to his mom talk about what she's going to miss about about him and the fact that what she told you, you know, she'll never be able to cook dinner for him again. She'll never be able to hug him. She's going to miss his smile. And we were talking just about the pain that that family is feeling and, you know, what the potential reaction is going to be to this video. Senator Manchin was talking about training for officers and uh, what that needs to look like. And, and you're right. There are we are hearing these calls from a lot of these officials about what needs to happen here in Washington, how they believe that needs to change. But it is remarkable to see the interviews that you've done this morning you know, with the police chief, with the family, talking about what the reaction in that community looks like. Well, look, look Caitlin, we're both Southerners, right, from neighboring states. We're rivals uh, when it comes to colleges. But, you, you know, there's a familiarity with Southern families. You and I talk about cooking. I told you that my mom was in town and I was gaining weight because she was cooking red beans and rice. And so it became very relatable to me when she said, I'm no longer going to be able to cook for my son, these are human beings, they're families, they're just like you, they're just like me, and just like the folks who are watching. And so I hope that our viewers take away the humanity in all of this and realize that there are, no one is perfect as the mother uh, has been saying. Um, the officers obviously aren't perfect, and the people who come in contact with police officers. 
and we need to figure out how we can bridge the gap between the two so that a routine traffic stop does not lead to death. Yeah, a horrific death. And Donna, I'm really glad you're on the ground there covering this, speaking with their family about this. It's really important. And uh, I'm Caitlin Collins live here in Washington. Don is in Memphis. CNN's special coverage of this is going to continue right now. That's it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.